Well, this is the third Sunday in Advent, and uh, traditionally in the church it is known as uh, Gaudet Sunday, which means Joy Sunday. So all of the songs have been joyful, and, uh, and uh, I hope that you are experiencing the joy of Jesus Christ, the hope that we have in him, and that when you leave this place today, you go out in joy. I love this part of uh, Zephaniah 3. The Lord your God is in your midst, a warrior who gives victory. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you in his love. He will exult over you with loud singing as on a day of festival. Do you ever think of God that way? Do you ever think of God looking at you and exulting over you with singing? I hope you do, because that is the kind of God that, uh, that, that we worship and believe in and trust in. Let us listen now to the scripture, which comes to us from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, beginning with verse 39. And just to set the context a little bit, earlier in this chapter, Gabriel has come to Mary, and he has made that announcement to her that she will be with child. He's told her not to be afraid, and uh, she has ended that story after hearing these incredible words by saying, May it be to me, as you have said. And so now we have her uh, visit with her cousin Elizabeth. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. According to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever, And Mary remained with her about three months and then returned to her home. Let us bow for a moment of prayer. Loving God, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be acceptable in in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. And this we ask in the name of Christ, our Savior, Emmanuel, God with us. Amen. 
way back in 1904, after studying the 19th century statistics on energy and power, noted historian Henry Adams preached that the greatest challenge to the 20th century Americans would be change. Volcanic, tumultuous change accelerating with each decade, increasing by a sort of uh, geometric progression. And that is exactly what happened, isn't it? And I wonder what historian Henry Adams might think if, we were, if he were somehow resurrected and dropped into the 21st century today. What would he think about his prediction? Have we ever lived in a time that is uh, more ch changing more day after day after day, where the change is so rapid we can hardly keep up with it? familiar story of the birth of Jesus is one of climactic change, which comes through a number of unexpected people, very common people, like Mary and Joseph. Now, I don't know about you, but I tend to think often of Christmas, the Christmas season and the Advent season as a season when everything is a little more settled and a little more right. You know, Christmas is that period in our memories. We look back and uh, we tend to remember all that was warm and good and we think of our Norman Rockwell paintings of Christmas and family gathered around dinner and all the songs, you know, I'll be home for Christmas and all that stuff. And, and we, we kind of think of this, this time when everything is just kind of set right for, for just a moment, maybe just a day or two. But what we discover when we read the stories in the Gospels and particularly this story that was read to you today we discover that Christmas was hardly a time when everything was right in that sense, but when everything was turned upside down. It wasn't about a loving family values mother caring for a conventional child within the framework of a traditional and intact marriage. No, it was about an unwed teenage mother, could have been 15 or 16, maybe as young as 14. A young woman named Mary, who became pregnant in a most unconventional way. And you remember that encounter that you'll read in the gospel text later on uh, that Mary and Joseph have with the innkeeper. And Joseph is looking for a place for Mary to give birth and to get shelter from the cold uh, and, and all that's going on. And he finds uh, the innkeeper. And the innkeeper tells him that there's no room in his inn. I'm sorry, I don't have anything for you. And Joseph you know, pleading his case, says, but my wife is pregnant. And the innkeeper responds, well, that's not my fault. It's not my fault either, Christ Joseph. Right? That took you a moment, didn't it? It wasn't his fault. He had nothing to do with it. But he was there. You see what I mean? Everything's turned upside down. Nothing is as it should be or is as we might expect. And when Mary got the news from the angel that she was going to have not just any baby, but Emmanuel, the Messiah, who would save the world, she sang a Christmas carol full of joy unlike any that has ever been sung. Called the Magnificat, 
Mary sang of a world turned upside down, of those who are high and mighty brought low, of those who are poor and hungry being filled, and all by the birth of this child. She sang of a child in her womb that was going to disrupt and disturb everyone's lives, and particularly the status quo. And we recall when we read through the book of Acts, that later on, one of the charges against the Christians of the early church would be that these people are turning the world upside down. That's what God does. He turns everything upside down so that things might eventually be right side up. That's what God does. Consider the possibility that maybe that's why you and I are here this morning. Because our world right side up, at least as we see it, may not be all that it could be if left alone. Bible's full of stories of people like Mary who had their world turned upside down, inside out, when they came face to face with the living God. Remember old Abraham, our oldest ancestor, a wealthy farmer and advanced in years, called to be the father of what would eventually become the nation of Israel. His settled world was thrown upside down as God called him to leave his securities behind and sat on a journey to a place that would be a promised land. He had no GPS, he had no maps, he had nothing except the word of God, the promise of God, that God would be with him and lead him and he, his seed would bless the world. And then there was Sarah, his wife, Wow, talk about turning the world, her world upside down. Elderly lady, long barren, in her 90s perhaps, or at the very least her 80s, giving birth to a son who she would name Isaac, which means laughter. Talk about a world turned upside down and inside out. And then there was Jacob, remember him? Jacob the deceiver, the guy who wrestled with an angel one night, and his life was changed forever. Remember Moses, who wrestled with Pharaoh, and, a dis and he continued to wrestle with a disgruntled people for years in the wilderness. Everything turned upside down for him. David, the young boy, the shepherd, who would one day become king. Those are only a few of those who found their comfortable, controlled, settled, known worlds turned upside down and inside out as God disrupted their lives and led them on amazing journeys that they could never, ever have planned or imagined or dreamed. That's the way God works. And I believe God still works in that manner. Whenever God taps some unexpected person on the shoulder to do his will, there's a great deal of coming up and going down. Nothing remains the same. And nowhere is that more true than for this young woman named Mary. Reformer Martin Luther once said that three miracles occurred at Christ's nativity. The first was that God became human. The second was that a virgin conceived. And the third was that Mary believed. An absolute miracle. And for Luther, the greatest miracle that first Christmas was that Mary believed. Despite the terrible circumstances, 
the oppression of the Romans, the poverty, the fear, the darkness, the confusion, despite all the deprivation and desolation, despite all the silence and uncertainty, all of the fears that were there, despite all of the obstacles looming large before her and before Joseph, and with no support system whatsoever, we can imagine what her village friends were saying about her, Mary believed. Luther said that was the greatest miracle. And without that miracle, perhaps none of the rest would have happened. Now, Scripture does not indicate that she fully understood. Just like things happen in our lives that we can't fully understand. But she believed. She staked her life on what this angel told her. She trusted. She put her weight down on that and her future on that promise. And her world was forever turned upside down and that paradoxically also right side up at least as God judges these things. Mary didn't just believe. She acted. That's what belief really is, you know. It's not just giving assent to some idea or some truth or some wisdom or some fact. It is acting on what we come to believe. Consider her response to Gabriel. Now, I didn't read this text, but it's in the earlier verses of the same chapter. Gabriel gives his great promise to her that she's going to be with child. She'll bear a son. She'll call his name Jesus. And what does Mary say? Imagine it again. 13, 14, 15-year-old teenage girl living in a patriarchal society. Very different society from ours. Very rigid. And what does she say? I am the Lord's servant. Let it be as you have told me. Wow. Has God ever come to you in some way and promised you something or led you in some direction that seemed unimaginable? And what has been your response? Has your response been, let it be, God, as you have told me? Imagine it. You know how teenage people are. Kids, you were teenagers once, right? Some of you still are out there. Imagine a teenage girl giving up her freedom and her self-interest. Imagine any of us giving up our freedom and our self-interest, for that matter. In order to live according to God's will and for the benefit of other people, all based on a promise. In our individualistic, consumeristic society, a society in which we are taught not self-renunciation but self-assertion, such an act is almost unheard of, is it not? Yes, Mary's life was turned upside down. But actually, when we think about it, it was turned right side up because she was willing to believe and to trust and to act even though her questions and fears must have been many. I think her story leaves us all with some very crucial questions, probably hundreds of questions, but I just want to identify a couple or three. First, as I think about this text, and as I've listened to this text, I have to ask myself, am I as open as Mary was to God's power in my life? Are you? 
Are you open to God's power in, in your life? That something like this might happen to you? That your world might be turned upside down? So that it might be right side up again? And if I am open, am I ready and willing to say yes? Yes, Lord, with joy and expectancy to the good news. And having said yes, then will we believe? Will we believe in the joyful word that God desires to fill us with a power that will transform us so that his purposes might be done in the world and he might unleash his power to share the good news and bless the lives of other people? And finally, having heard all this and believed, are we willing to trust to the point that we act on what God is telling us, that we will become people who live in a right-side-up way, even though it goes against common sense and the culture around us? Will we be folks through whom Christ will come again this Christmas and in all of the weeks and months and years ahead? Some of you know the uh, writer, <clears throat> excuse me, Flannery O'Connor, one of the greatest American writers of the 20th century. She was a devout Catholic, and once she said this, made this comment in one of her writings. She said, all human nature vigorously resists grace because grace changes us, and the change is painful. Think about that. When you have moments in your life when God graced you, were they not often moments of pain and disruption and upsetness in your life? You know, it's one thing to sing of God's amazing grace, but it's quite another thing to experience that grace, to act on it, to allow its power to be unleashed in our lives. That's what Mary did. And I wonder if we desire this same amazing, disturbing, life-changing grace as we approach the manger and as we get closer and closer to remembering the birth of the Christ. In other words, I have to wrestle with this question, and I think all of us do. Do we want our carefully thought-out, ordered world, as it is today, to be turned upside down and inside out? by a fresh message, a fresh word of grace from the living God. How about right side up? Maybe your world needs to be right side up, but first it must become upside down. You see, what happened to Mary makes clear that God's ways rarely fit our expectations of how life ought to be or how things ought to get done. Mary teaches us that when we are willing to trust God, all bets are off, and upside down eventually will become right side up. And if we're open to God's presence, and we trust in his power and his promise, then the life that we work so very hard to control and manage and keep safe and secure is suddenly and thankfully not in my hands or in your hands, but in the hands of the sovereign Lord who exalts over us with singing, who sees and understands what our finite minds can never comprehend. And the astonishing good news of Advent is that you and I are met each day, 
each moment by a God who intends to make everything new, everything, including us. And this is a God who turns everything upside down and inside out in order to set things right side up. Now, sadly, not everybody's going to take God at his word. We know that. Some of us will stiff arm God as he reaches out to us, offering to us the gift of a savior and a new course in life and a new way of being. Some of us will say, well, God, yeah, but not quite right now. So I'm going to hold you off a little bit for just a little while. We may resist the grace of God because it means change, which can be painful, believing that it makes more sense to stay in control of our lives, even when our lives are filled with a certain amount of confusion and frustration. Many of us will live more by sight and touch than by faith. We'll resist the truth in verse 37, as Mary says, nothing is impossible with God. We will assent to that, but then we will return to our well-ordered, carefully constructed lives. Some of us will sing the carols and hear the magnificent story of Christmas, but we will remain unconvinced that what happened so many years ago can actually happen to my life and my circumstances and my dreams and my hopes and my relationships and my attitudes. And there will be many, unfortunately, who will miss the unexpected and unmerited joy of the gospel as they move through this season with hearts and minds that shut tight against the miracle of grace. Lana and I attended Kamiak's uh, Christmas program last week, and I imagine many of you were there. It was marvelous. There were fun, crazy, joyous kind of songs, and there were serious songs, and then there were selections from the Messiah. And I remember thinking as the Messiah was being son and those great words of scripture were being uh, poured out through this marvelous medium of music that is so powerful and that moves us so deeply. And I looked around and I thought to myself, are people really hearing this? Are they hearing it? Are they believing it? Are they trusting in it? Are they willing to open up their lives to what is being sung here in this civic auditorium? I think about that every year. I'll think about that this afternoon and this evening when people gather for the cantata. Are people really going to hear what is being sung and spoken? Some will, some won't. Mary heard, and she acted, and her world was turned upside down so that God might then turn her world right side up. Your world, my world. And if you and I are willing to listen, and I'd like you to do this, if you're, I'm going to invite you to do this. Close your eyes. Just close your eyes for a moment and Open up your ears. Close your ears to the distractions and the discordant voices around you. And sit just a moment in silence. And maybe as your eyes are closed and your ears 
are shut to the other voices and open to the one true voice, you may just hear once again a pure, clear, feminine voice singing. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. Can you hear Mary singing that this morning? Can you hear that pure, clear, trusting young woman's voice? She sings because she has been touched by God's grace. And having been touched by his grace, she has become willing to trust in God's miraculous movement in her life. In the midst of the darkness, she says, yes, 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 to the Lord her God. May it be so for each of us. And there will be dark days ahead for this young woman. We know that, don't we? We know that her unfettered joy this morning as a new mother will be mixed with heartache and pain. We know that our life is not all Christmas carols and joy. Dark, cold January days lie just beyond our Advent and our Christmas hopes and gladness. But God's message to us is as clear as the one that was spoken to Mary so long ago. And it is this, you, each and every one of you have found favor with God. Not because you deserve it or because you earned it or you're better than other people. Not because you even understand it. But because God in his great mercy and grace wants to move and to touch your life with his amazing, disrupting, upsetting, upside down, life changing, wondrous grace. May the Lord find an open spirit and a willingness and a willing and eager heart to trust and believe in each of us today. Let us pray. Loving and gracious God, you are so faithful to us and you are so eager to rejoice over us with singing and to bring joy into our lives and to bring the change that we need so that our lives might be turned upside down and eventually right side up by your grace. May it be so for each of us, today, tonight, tomorrow, and in the days ahead. 
may we exercise the same trust that was in a young woman named Mary. Amen.